Right, is that a bit better? Okay. So we're going to read from verse 1 then. This wonderful, dramatic moment in the story. So then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my brother still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been a famine in the land and for the next five years there will not be ploughing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be, and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there. Because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about all your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away and as they were leaving he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything, Joseph had said to them. And when he saw the cart, Joseph had sent to carry him back. The spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I am convinced. My son Joseph is still alive and I will go and see him before I die. What an amazing chapter. It's so dramatic, so powerful, so emotional. Joseph revealing who he truly is to his brothers and his brothers having to come to term with the fact that he's still alive but they were the cause of his possible death but now he's alive. How do they deal with that? It's, 
challenging and difficult. But we're going to look at a few things. I'm going to start off looking at Joseph and what he shows us about forgiveness. What he shows us about what comprehensive, full forgiveness looks like. And the first thing we can see is that great emotion is involved. Now, in any moment where forgiveness is necessary, great emotion will be involved. It will vary, but there will always be the negative emotion. If forgiveness is required, then some negative emotions will have had to be dealt with. And Joseph, no doubt, has done that. But in this chapter, we see an overwhelming positive emotion from Joseph. And for Jules and I, in our marriage, there are times, perhaps once a decade, maybe more frequently, when we have an argument. And there is a need for forgiveness. And there's a negative emotions involved in there. But after that's resolved, when forgiveness flows, the positive overwhelms the negative. It's an emotional process. And for Joseph here, we see huge amounts of positive emotion that he pours out on his brother on the, the positive side of forgiveness. But we also see in verse 4 this, just a few words. He says to them, come to me. Come to me. So he reveals himself and the first thing he says to them after that is come to me. Forgiveness, full forgiveness allows close proximity. Now the process of forgiveness in the Gibbons household has a particular formula and a particular way of doing it. I need a couple of people to help demonstrate this. Now, this morning I queued a few people up and we had John Cressy and Peter Koreski basically doing judo, which is not necessary for this. So I'm going I'm to ask, Ali, will you come, Ali? Yeah, is that all right? And Fiona, come on, you have to do much, love. Right, just come and stand in front of here for me, if that's all right. I'm going to tell you what to do, it'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> Ali, I'm not, I'm not making a comment, but I don't fancy your chances. Come, you need to come a bit, come a bit closer. Right, Ali, Ali, could you, uh, I'm not asking you, like my girls never fight, okay, ever, physically, really. Ali, I just simply want you to wrong or offend Fiona, it could be verbally, it could be physically, you could steal something of hers, anything, anything. Um, you're just awful. <laughs> now Ali, that is not how we talk to our sisters. Really? Okay, we don't talk like that, that hurts. Now I'd like to say sorry to Fiona, please. Wow, look, they're getting straight in there. Now, in our household, it doesn't quite go like that. Okay, you know how this is what happens. So, can you say sorry, please, Annie? Sorry. Fiona, not Annie saying sorry. She didn't mean it. Can you say, I forgive you? I forgive you. Brilliant. Okay, can you, can you cuddle? And at this point in time, this is the key point where we work out what's going on in the forgiver. Because if there's some reluctance from one of my children, we know there's still a process to go through. They may have said the words, they may have indicated the direction of travel, but if they're reluctant to embrace, we have to do a little bit more work, which we're not going to do now, fortunately for you, but if you want counselling afterwards, you know where I am. We can have a little chat, a bit of prayer afterwards. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, high five. Joseph, the point is this, Joseph has moved through on that process of forgiveness. He's way down the track. And so his desire is for physical proximity. He wants to be close to his brothers. So he's very simply, he says, come close to me. But Joseph's forgiveness goes beyond that. 
You see that in verse 11. He says this. I will provide for you. Now there's nothing demanding that he does that. Having been wronged in the way he is, he could say, well, I forgive them, but I don't want anything to do with them. He said, could have said, I forgive you, but here's a few bit more grain and you can stay where you are. But he doesn't say that. He says, come and live with me. Come and receive my provision. He doesn't limit what he gives them because of how they wronged him. He truly has forgiven them. And not only that, they get the best of the land. He doesn't limit the provision and he doesn't punish them. His forgiveness goes further. He provides for them. And in verse 15, we see that he tops it all off with some kissing and some weeping. Which I was going to say originally, we can't really relate to in our reserved British society. But this week, I've experienced what it's like to leave St. Mary's as a year six. So Isabel, there's 18 of them in year six. And she has just left. And it was an emotional week. It was an emotional day. And I saw what it meant to kiss and embrace and to weep upon. Tears and tears and tears. And that was just the mums. Never mind the kids. They were even worse. Such emotion. Now, that obviously is a different type of emotion here. But we're seeing fullness of emotion. Weeping and kissing and embracing. Joseph is saying in no uncertain terms... Look, I forgive you. I really do forgive you. And he weeps over them. Now we can conclude this. We can deduce this. God has done a profound work in Joseph so that he is able to forgive in amazing ways. Now I suspect that's not come easily. He's had a couple of decades to work that through, to chew that over with God, to get hold of God in that and really see it through. But we can see the position he's come to of true and full and complete forgiveness of his brothers for a severe wrong. Back to Star Wars. Now, in the Star Wars movie, talking about the original, the original ones, four, five, six, when we watch films, when we read books, sometimes we want to be the person, that, but we identify them. Perhaps we aspire to them, or maybe we feel like them, we know what they're like. And I just, as a, a matter of interest, just wonder... In the Star Wars, by virtue of raising your hands, could you tell me who you wanted to be like? Someone go, Luke Skywalker first. Any Luke Skywalkers? We've got, yeah. Chris Brand and you two. You and Chris Brand should get together and talk about being Luke Skywalker because you are the only two people in the church who want to be Luke Skywalker, apparently. Chris Brand also wanted to be Princess Leia. That's not true. I've made that up. I've made that up. It's not true. Princess Leia. No Princess Leias. Yes, Louise. Uh, Chewbacca. Yeah, yeah, we've got a couple of Chewbacca's, yeah. Um, now, Richard Smith came up to me. I said I'd name him in shame. And Richard Smith came up to me and said, you didn't say C-3PO. I said, it's a, it's a robot. Who wants to be a robot? He's like... <laughs> C-3PO? No. R2-D2. R2-D2. <laughs> a three-wheeled robot. Um, who are we missing? Han Solo. Hans Solo was the most popular this morning, and Anastasia Juden said, because he gets the lady. <laughs> that was his reasoning. I was like, okay, Al. Make of that what you will. We often choose the characters we want to be like. Anastasia Juden chose Hans Solo because he wanted to be like him. And we often aspire to that. And in the story, we can look at Joseph and think, wow, look at the forgiveness that he has done. 
I want to be like that. I want to be able to forgive in that way. And yes, in many senses that's the case. But for, for us to get hold of something beautiful about the gospel, I want us to identify with the brothers. I want us to put ourselves in the story and say, actually, we are the brothers. Because when it comes to Christ, when it comes to God, we are the ones who have betrayed. We are the ones who have sinned. We are the ones who have done things wrong. And when we look at this story in that way, suddenly we see that the way that Joseph forgave his brothers, God treats us. And we're going to rattle through a few Bible verses just to demonstrate this, just to boost our spirits and to encourage us in how God forgives us. Now, they should be on the screen behind me because I've prepared them before for Jen. So we're going to go quite quickly because we've got six of them. So God has great love and emotion for us. John 3.16, we know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. There's an abundance of love for the people of God, so much so that he gives his son. He's got great love for us. Zephaniah 3 verse 17, he will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. If you are in Christ this afternoon, if you're walking with him, if you know him as your saviour, this truth should resound for you. He's singing over you with rejoicing. He's singing over you with rejoicing. There's positive emotions from the throne of heaven. The God of all time and eternity thinks about you in positive ways. He sings over you rejoicing. He loves you. And as Joseph called his brothers to come close, God says to us, come close to me. James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Ephesians 3.12, in him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. It could be argued, one of the reasons that Jesus came was to draw us into the presence of a holy God. And so God not only beckons us in, he provides the means for us to come into the presence of a holy God. God longs for us to be close to him. God asks that we draw near to him. What else does he do? Like Joseph provided for his brothers, he provides for us. 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He has given us everything we need for a godly life. He provides for us. If we sit down and think about it, we know he does that. In lots of different ways, whether it be spiritual, physical, emotional, practical, whether it be in terms of salvation, whether it be in terms of general blessing, God provides for us. He looks after us. He doesn't withhold his blessing from us. He doesn't punish us in that sense. He forgives us totally and provides for us. And he expresses his love over us. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God and that is what we are. His love is expressed and shown through our adoption, through our childhood, that we are children of God. He has such great love for us. But as we've read, it's not simply that straightforward for the brothers. They've got to face up to things quite quickly. They've got to face up to the fact that the person they betrayed hugely years ago is now standing in front of them. And at this point in time, as Joseph reveals himself, I'm sure the brothers' faces say it all. Jaw-dropping moments 
chin scraping on the floor. They'd have been shocked. They'd have been surprised. The man we thought was dead, the brother that we betrayed, is now prime minister and he has all the power in the world to do whatever he wants to us. They're going to be scared. But they're also having to face up to their sin very directly. We know they may have processed it a little bit, but maybe not fully. But right now they're having to do some quick processing because in front of them, Joseph stands. Now they've got to process also the fact that Joseph is getting all soppy over them. He's explaining why they shouldn't be uh, worried. Don't be distressed. Don't be angry. He's said, I'll provide for you. And he's got this great emotional response to them. And they're probably still processing. Okay, it's Joseph in front of us. What's going on here? But surely they get it. Surely they get it a little bit. Joseph has forgiven them. We've just seen in such clear ways that he's demonstrating it. And he's telling them he's forgiven them. Surely they get it. Let's read Genesis 50. This is a few years later. I'm going to go from verse 16. Jacob has died. And this is what the brothers say to each other. Verse 16. So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. They made that up. Jacob never said that, but they were concerned that they weren't actually forgiven. Now, this is quite staggering. As, a, as an observer, stepping back and reading this, you go through this chapter in detail and you think, Joseph couldn't have done any more to demonstrate that they were forgiven. He couldn't have done any more. But the brothers think they're being used to get to their father. They don't believe Joseph. They think the weeping and the kissing and the provision and the blessing was just because Joseph wanted to get to his father. They doubted Joseph's sincerity and his intentions. They hadn't really been forgiven. How could they after what they'd done? Now let me suggest very gently that I wonder if this is how we sometimes feel when we consider the gravity of our sin or the darkness of our hearts or all that we've done or the things that we think about that no one knows and the things we conceive, the temptations we fall into or maybe even the things we have done. We think, how can God really fully forgive us? I know it says in the Bible that he forgives me, but does he really want me to come close? Is he really going to provide for me? Has he really forgiven me? Do you struggle, like the brothers did, to believe that they really had been forgiven? Well, if you're in that category, I think at different stages at different times, we all fall into that category. There are moments when we struggle to believe it. But if you're in that category, we can look here now, and we will do so. We'll look at what the brothers have missed. And we'll look at those things to help us get hold of God's forgiveness for us. And there are three things that I think the brothers missed and there are three things that perhaps we can miss. The first is this, God's sovereignty. In trying to help his brothers, Joseph says three times in verse 5, in verse 7 and verse 8, God sent me. Now we've touched on this theme a number of times and in one sense, it's confusing, and in another sense, it's mysterious, but in another sense, it's the most wonderful thing ever. 
Joseph is saying this, brothers, you've messed up, but God has been at work. And the problem is that they haven't got a box for this kind of sovereignty, for this kind of God even. And sometimes we struggle with it as well. We can't put God in that box. We can't say this is what is sovereignty. Like we struggle with this idea that our mess and our sin can be used by God. And I understand that and I get that as well. It's difficult for us to get hold of. Let me try and demonstrate in some small way what this is like. So, um, I'm children, you might want to uh, confess at this point in time. Adults, you can confess as well. Who has ever scribbled on a wall? Who's ever scribbled on a wall? Some parents are dobbing their children in. It's not a good thing to do, is it? It's really naughty to scribble on the wall. I've got a picture here of someone who's scribbled on a wall. Look. Squiggled all the way up. And that's a bit like our mess. That's a bit like our sin. It's like getting something wrong. But the parent of this child was so artistic and so creative, this is what they did. They turned it, that's exact, all their squiggles are still there, and they turned it into this beautiful piece of art. Now in some small, tiny way, I feel like this helps us get hold of the sovereignty of God here, in that... We can make a mess of things. We can sin. We can fall short. We can betray like the brothers did. But Joseph says this, God is at work. God sent me. God can take our mess and use it to bless. God can take our wrongs and he can turn it into a beautiful piece of art. Now I'm not saying that completely conveys the sovereignty of God. It's a huge subject, but I hope in some way in this particular story it helps us understand what has happened to the brothers. And Joseph is using this to help them get hold of God's forgiveness. It's like, don't dwell on your mess. God sent me. He's sovereign. He's used this. Do you believe God can take what you've done and weave it into his amazing salvation plan? This story would suggest that the answer to that question should be a resounding yes. What else have the brothers missed? They've missed God's bigger picture. Now I live um, on Walkley Bank and approximately speaking about a thousand times a year I come to the end of Bowl Hill Road and I turn right typically. And as you turn right there are two bollards on a raised pavement. Three weeks ago having probably traverse this junction thousands of times, literally thousands of times, I decided, or somehow, someway, I drove straight through one of those bollards. Now, fortunately, it was a flippy-flappy one, so it went down and just scraped along the side of the car. Now, it was clear straight away that the car was still safe to drive, so I did do so. But if I'd have carried on driving, open, open, my, open my window, we got wine down in the back, electric in the front, open my window and started looking at the mess that as I drove along, what would have happened? Even more mess. I'd have crashed. When we mess up, when we've got damage, when things have gone wrong, it's so easy to spend our time thinking about those things. It's so easy for the brothers to spend all their time thinking about, oh no, we betrayed Joseph and here he is. How can we ever move on? But if we don't see that God has got a bigger plan if we don't look at the bigger picture if we don't keep our eyes on the road if you like we're going to end up crashing we're going to go the wrong way things aren't going to go right great and the bigger picture here for the brothers is amazing their mess was used to save Jacob's family that alone is amazing 
But remember, these are the people of God. These are the promise carriers. They're the, the very representation of God on the earth. And so you could argue that the sin of the brothers ensured that God's glory was continued on the earth. In reality, we know it's because God was at work through that, that his glory remained on the earth, through the people of God. It was his great plan to bring them into Egypt to save them. And Joseph's saying, brothers, see the bigger picture. And I want to say this afternoon, brothers and sisters, see the bigger picture. What's God doing more broadly in your life, in your family, in this church, in the city, in the nation, in the nations? Let our focus be on that rather than our mess. And yes, like with my car, there will be times to deal with things to make them safe. And there are times with our mess and the consequences we need to deal with them. But they're not to be our focus if we want to be those who fully receive the forgiveness of God. What else did the brothers miss? God is a redeemer. In other words, he doesn't write people off. He does not write people off. The brothers aren't ruled out. They're not isolated. They're not ignored. Instead, they're brought into blessing. They're brought into Egypt, the richest nation on the earth at that point in time. They're brought into to be taken care of, essentially by the Pharaoh. He says, you can have the fat of the land. These aren't the people that have missed God's plan. These are the people that have been brought into God's plan. These are the people that God is redeeming. And they didn't deserve any of it. And we don't deserve any of the blessings of heaven. But God still blesses us. And can you imagine what that is like for Judah? And Dan touched on this last week. Judah, the initiator of the betrayal, the brother that was worse. He was the one who said, let's get rid of him, let's kill him, let's throw him in this well. Let's get, and get him sold into slavery and make some money. He was the initiator. We saw he'd learned some significant lessons. He was ready to defend Benjamin. And we also saw this. He was a forefather of Jesus Christ. He was Jesus' granddaddy. The man who betrayed Joseph, left him for dead, is in the line of Jesus. The Messiah came from his line. If that's not redemption, I don't know what is. It's staggering. And this is our position before God, deserving the worst, yet getting the best. Slaves to sin, yet we've had our freedom bought at a great price. Let me ask you this question this afternoon. Have you written yourself off? Or do you believe in a God of second or third or tenth or twentieth or a hundredth chances? We have a God who redeems and a God who saves. Joseph was able to forgive his brothers because he got hold of these truths. But like the brothers... Do we still struggle to know, really know, that we are forgiven? Well, I want to make sure this afternoon that no one walks out of this room in any doubt that God has forgiven you. If you're in Christ, this is the absolute truth. You, you have been forgiven of your sins totally, utterly, completely. We need to receive that and know it and live it out because it is true. And the enemy would convince us otherwise. So, I want to take some Bible verses, like a wet kipper, and whack them around our faces this afternoon. Because we've been heard, heard about forgiveness, but you still might have missed it. So I'm going to do some whacking with some Bible verses. Are you ready? Psalm 103, 13. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Your sins have been removed from you. Your sins have been removed from you. They're no longer associated with you. They've been dealt with. They've been removed as far as the east is from the west. We are forgiven of our sins. Ephesians 1.7 In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. The cross of Christ, the blood of Jesus, has paid the price so that we can be forgiven. We don't need to be punished because Jesus was. We don't need to suffer the wrath of God because Jesus did. We can know forgiveness because of all that Jesus has done. We are forgiven. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let me say it very simply. He will forgive our sins. He will forgive our sins. And now to my favourite kipper. Isaiah 1.18 Come now. Let us settle this matter, says the Lord. If you're arguing in your heart with God about whether you're forgiven, this is what he says to you this afternoon. Come now. Let us settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, he's accepting they are bad. They shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Let's not argue with God about forgiveness. Let him settle the matter today. Now in this story we've seen that despite great pain and abuse, Joseph forgave his brothers. Having caused great pain, the brothers struggled to receive Joseph's forgiveness. And us, as those who have offended God, we can struggle to receive forgiveness ourselves. But as Joseph fully forgave his brothers, so God fully forgives us. And he weeps over us, and he provides for us, and he calls us to come close. So who are you going to believe today? Yourself? The enemy? The nagging voice inside? Or God when he says that you are totally and utterly forgiven. Let's pray.